Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. We're back. Triple Death Theater, episode 62. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. The unhappiest of holidays. Mm-hmm. Tonight. 1974's Black Christmas. Mm. 1981's My Bloody Valentine. Mm. 1986's April Fool's Day. Mm. You know, I wish the movie Thanksgiving was a real thing and not just a, tra- <laughs> a really good trailer. Yeah. Because even to this day, which has got to be a solid 15 plus years since that was part of Grindhouse, I still laugh every time I see it. And think of how good of an idea it is. I'm a little surprised that Eli Roth has never actually turned that into a movie. Mm-hmm. Me too. This year, you come home in a body bag. <laughs> Thanksgiving. It was the best. But if Machete taught us anything, it's that those <gasps> trailers should probably just stay trailers. <gasps> Clutches pearls. You a big Machete fan? No. Um, I want to like it. Like I want to love all Robert Rodriguez creations but both machete movies are pretty rough Ooh, i never went back for the second one come so on kudos to you <laughs> you've never seen it was bad enough in your eyes you wouldn't even watch the second one i mean it's not like the worst thing i've ever seen but i didn't like it and when a second one came around i was like mm, don't need that in my life oh, let me go ahead and fix that <laughs> oh, great what are you gonna match up with machete uh, kills <laughs> is that what the second one's called yep oh I can already think of it in my head now that I said that. Uh, There's got to be a third one. Machete kills, Halloween kills. Oh, man. There's got to be another one. Not that I'm terribly excited to rewatch Halloween kills either. Well, yeah. Pretty I mean, middle of the road movie, if you ask me. I mean, how many uh, how many times have we had stuff that just flat out doesn't even bring excitement, period? <laughs> I'm always excited to record an episode of Triple Threat Theater with you, Joe Dax. I was just going to say, but we make it exciting. <laughs> You know, that's why we have this thing of ours, because it's like, why in the world would I ever watch Machete Kills again? Because I've why would I ever watch it for the first time? (laughs) Right. Because Jodax made me. (laughs) That's how these things come together. Yeah. Bills, let me ask you. Yeah. Have you seen any of these movies before? Fan of any of these movies? What do you got for me? I saw Black Christmas for the first time. Uh, not this past Christmas, but the the previous. Mm. I convinced my mother to watch it with me on Christmas Eve. Oh, Kathy Miller. Yeah, I never know exactly where she's going to fall on certain things, but uh, I think she enjoyed it for the okay. most part. Uh, I always knew that that was like a, you know, considered a classic. It's like one of the earlier slasher films, at least of the actual like slasher trend that began in the late 70s because mm-hmm. uh, you know there are things like peeping tom from i think the 60s and, and whatnot but i always knew that it was like a well-respected one a lot of people liked it so i wanted to get around to it it's one of those ones i blind bought during a sale from shout factory yeah, and then boy decided to go ahead and 
watch one Christmas not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two I hadn't seen. You know, I mean, you know me. I collect horror movies. I like to watch horror movies, but without sounding too much like a broken record, you know, slashers aren't always the first thing on my to-do list, but, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like My Bloody Valentine is another one that I know is like a cult classic, so it's one of these things where I was like, I'll get around to it eventually. Hadn't yet, so enter oh. the Triple Threat Theater podcast. Holla. <laughs> and we don't normally talk about, like, you know, when we're recording, um, you know, we've mentioned in the past that we bank episodes, so potentially we'll record one and you don't hear it for, like, six months or something like that. But mm-hmm. it just so happens, coincidentally, because of when we're recording, I watched My Bloody Valentine oh. on the eve of Valentine's Day. Oh, look at you. I like it. Just just kind of worked out that way. I like your style. But yeah, I had never seen My Bloody Valentine or April Fool's Day, though I have okay. long admired the April Fool's Day poster. With the, with the, the noose hair? ponytail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about yourself? Um, April Fool's Day, the movie and the poster were both new to me. Didn't even... Mm. I guess if you could have asked me, like, is there a movie out there called April Fool's Day? I would have been like, sure, but not In fact, there are several. <laughs> there you go. My Bloody Valentine, I think I was more aware of because I knew there was a remake and it had something to do with like uh, an evil cave worker with a pickaxe. Minor. <laughs> yeah, evil minor. It's always kind of been one of those things in pop culture. Like I knew that was a thing. I knew there was a remake, but again, didn't know any of the <laughs> ins and outs. You know what? Now that you mentioned the remake, it actually occurs to me. I don't have a 3D TV. Uh, those were like a flash in the pan kind of thing for sure. a couple of years there. Mm-hmm. But uh, when My Bloody Valentine, the remake came out, it was called My Bloody Valentine 3D. And it was a 3D film. And uh, I actually, just because I wanted to, I had never watched at that point a 3D movie that uses like the um, the red and blue mm. glasses. Mm-hmm. And I rented... My Bloody Valentine 3D, I think from the library for free, probably, because it came with glasses and you should, you were allegedly able to watch like one of the discs in 3D without a 3D TV with these glasses. And I remember turning on the movie and watching like the opening scene and trying it out and it just wasn't working. Like the movie was not in 3D. And so I just turned it off and never watched it and returned it. (laughs) Oh, what kind of glasses? The red and blue ones or I think so I, new age I, ones? I mean I I understand the basic concept of how the red and the blue works mm-hmm. I don't really fully understand any 3d technology past that same <laughs> but I, I don't know it's been a while I mean it would have been probably around 2009 2010 I just when you mentioned the remake it just like jumped into my head oh yeah that one was in 3d and I mm. saw like the opening kill scene of it or something I feel like that was kind of I mean it stuck around for a while going back to like avatar but yeah i feel like i never hear about it anymore yeah it was like a a late aughts early teens kind of thing i feel like it was around for like a decade Uh, i know at least one or two people who had or have 3d tvs um which is why i say i don't understand how that technology works because i remember being at my friends mike and jackie's house and um they had a 3d tv and (laughs) <laughs> actually come to think of it I wanted to try out the 3D and so I brought over I think I just happened to have one 3D movie at the time which was Prometheus 
because wow. I had bought the four disc edition to get mm. the documentary, mm-hmm. hoping that the documentary would explain to me how the movie ended up being so bad. But took the movie over. I know and- that was a, I know that was a shot across the bow, but I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna just say anything. This, this is gonna breeze right past that one. <clears throat> Let you simmer on that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so I, I took the movie over to their house and like it never occurred to me that because you know you go to the movie theater or you went to the movie theater to watch a 3d movie and you would have just like the plastic glasses with whatever kind of lenses they are but then the version of 3d that my buddy mike and jackie had on their tv the glasses they had to have power so they had to be charged and like the glasses could like run out of juice and stop working And, like, I don't understand how any of that shit works. Like, why do some need power and some don't? Like, how many different freaking kinds of 3D movie technology are there? That must be, like, all that. Yeah, it's like that proprietary bullshit where one company makes 3D and then, like, four other ones decide they're going to do it, too. But no one can get along, so you have to have different bits of tech for everything. But I, I think Mike had tried to explain it to me at the time. Again, this was a long time ago now. But something about, like the lenses actually like it happens so fast that the naked eye can't tell but it's like they the the two sides alternate like turning off and on to make the 3d work or something like that so like at any given time one of your eyes like if for like a split second is like that side of the lens isn't working or something and i can almost imagine how that would work science but the other thing I remember being crazy about that is uh, that experience watching that movie at Mike's house was that uh, the 3D worked in such a way that, like, if you, again, if you see a 3D movie in the theater with, like, the normal non-powered glasses, everything, like, if you turn your head and look off the screen, it's just, there's nothing there. But at uh, Mike's house, like, on the, the Blu-ray menu, it was, like, some kind of, you know, CG like sci-fi bullshit or whatever, like a computer screen or something. And if I would like get up and walk, the picture would almost move with me. And like, I could kind of, the image was like off the screen. It was weird. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Sounds expensive. Yeah. They could have, uh, they could have slipped some acid into my food when we ate dinner before the movie that night too, for all I know. But imagine they're like, Oh, watch. We're just going to tell him we have a 3d TV, (laughs) but he's tripping balls. Yeah, man. And then the other thing that really made me feel bad was it was the three of us watching the movie and they only had two pairs of glasses. What the fuck? And so I was like, no, no, I I just want to see how it works. Like, we can just watch a minute or two with the 3D and then we can turn it off so that all three of us can see the movie fine. But then Mike wanted to watch the entire movie in 3D, so his poor wife Jackie just had to sit (laughs) there and watch the blurry version without the glasses on and I felt so bad. (laughs) And she just wrote it out. She's like, I'm going to do this. Yeah, I think she, uh, Jackie, when it comes to horror movies, though, uh, she's much more happy to just hang out than watch a horror movie. So Mm. I think she was kind of glad to not be able to really fully see what was going on. So you did her a favor. I guess. Okay. Uh, Why we're talking about this, I don't really know, because none of the movies we watched are in 3D, but. Hey, uh, Millsy, we can't stop these (laughs) tangents once they get going. Back to you. So, yes, uh, I was aware of My Bloody Valentine as, as being a movie in a remake. Black Christmas, I knew it was a movie. Never saw it, didn't know who was in it or anything. Was actually surprised to see how old it was. I was just mm. kind of assumed they were all 80s movies. But yeah, that's about it. Uh, should we dig in? Please. All right. 
Movie number one from 1974, Black Christmas. Hello? Hello? Look, who is this? off the top mentioned this on a previous episode at this point i don't remember what episode number it was but uh directed by bob clark who also gave us porkies oh right right and a christmas story wild one of the classic raunchy sex comedies Mm -hmm. one of the classic brutal slasher movies Mm -hmm. and one of the most beloved family christmas films of all time what a career (laughs) <laughs> All from the same guy. And then outside of those, as we as we talked about before on that previous episode, he like moved to Hollywood after that because I think those are all Canadian productions where he's from. Uh, and then he did Rhinestone with uh, Stallone and um, what's her name? Country music. Uh, Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton. And then he... Ended up doing shit like Baby Geniuses and Super Babies, Baby Geniuses 2 before he died. Man, what a career, Mills. <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about not being pigeonholed. <laughs> Seriously. But, yeah, that that that's just always been wild to yeah. me that he made those three, like, seminal movies and all in completely different genres. But that's how people used to do it. You know, nowadays, you know, if somebody is a horror director, they're a horror director. Mm-hmm. Back in the day... You know, directors, I don't want to call them jobbers, because that's not exactly it. But, you know, they just, if an opportunity came up yeah. to do a comedy, they would do it. If an mm-hmm. opportunity came up to do a horror movie, they'd do it. It was just jobs. It was just movies, you know. Yeah, it is true, because, like, people, like, make a big deal nowadays when someone, like, switches genres. Yeah. Like when some horror, some low-budget horror guy ultimately does a superhero movie. Or, like, a perfect example... um, you know, Danny McBride and uh, what's his name doing the new Halloween movies uh, mm. who are mostly known for comedy. Mm-hmm. True, true. So I, as I said, saw this a couple years ago for the first time and I liked it. Um, you know, it, it has within the slasher and horror community a fair bit of hype. So I don't know if it quite leads up to that or uh, holds up to that. But um, I thought it was a well-made movie with, a, you know, good premise and... Mm-hmm. Uh, likable characters and stuff uh and yeah i enjoyed it on a second viewing what did you think um yeah so going in i was kind of surprised how old it was just didn't expect it you know should, had no reason not to but it was just kind of in my brain that this was going to be an 80s movie i like ended up enjoying myself as well milsey you know partly i mean a big part to thank of triple threat is like 
discovering different kinds of movies like Jallos, and that's exactly what I thought of when watching this. <laughs> yeah, without the yellow gloves. But <laughs> <laughs> there were never any yellow gloves. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the kind of like vibe, and I was like, especially me watching it, expecting it to be. You know, like kind of even what we'll get into more of just like the the 80s slasher movies like this was like a completely different animal and it was like it was like it was very dark i found it to be unsettling mm-hmm. but like well made like you said and like in a good time it just like it had that 70s vibe that i find myself enjoying more and more as i've gotten older and seeing more movies from the 70s you know they have their own particular vibe to them and this fits right in there so I mean, one great thing about this movie compared to a lot of the 80s slashers, and I mean, one of the, like, the things that you go to an 80s slasher for, typically, bloody kill scenes, bloody and inventive kill scenes, mm-hmm. TNA. This movie has no TNA, which is surprising considering it's a slasher film and it takes right. place in a sorority house. But totally. no nudity, which was a specific decision on the, the part of Bob Clark, who didn't want to make all of the women in the movie just like stereotypes. Uh, He wanted them to feel like real characters so that you would actually feel like, you know, scared for them or whatever. Like you'd be invested in them. Sure. And I think he achieves that, Mm -hmm. especially with uh, the main character, Jess, I think was her name. Mm -hmm. Uh, The one who was pregnant. Yep. Kind of British, maybe. Definitely British accent for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know a lot about Olivia Hussey who played her, but... Yeah, so, and, and like, the kill scenes, I would say the most graphic you get is... Lois Lane? Yeah, Margot Kidder, when she gets stabbed in bed, because you're seeing, like, the, that glass, like, thing that he's stabbing her with, like, basically coming up and down with blood on it, but you're not seeing, like, penetration or anything. Mm-hmm. That's as gory as it gets. Yeah, like, sure. a lot of the death scenes don't happen on camera. You're seeing the after effects of them. Which is something that in the case of something like Friday the 13th Part 7, I complain about, but that's Mm -hmm. because those scenes were filmed and intended to be in there, so it feels like there's something missing when they're not. Right. (laughs) Whereas this feels like more of a stylistic choice, and I think it works well. I agree, because in case in point is like, for me, I'm I'm not like big on slasher movies either, just like you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up watching more, but maybe even like mostly Friday the 13th movie. So I just have, I, there's like fun kind of funny enjoyment to me for like, like you said, the inventive kills. If someone were to ask me like, that's what I come to slashers for is the kills. Yep. Cause it's generally, you know, they're usually following some kind of formula. So initially watching this, I can't, I don't remember. It was before Margot dies, but I was just had a feeling like, I, like, Oh, I'm not ex- I shouldn't be watching this expecting the big inventive kills because of its eight, you know, when, when it came out, mm-hmm. it's not in the eighties. So it's like, it didn't ruin it for me, which was nice. Yeah. And I mean, it's effective enough for me. Like the first girl that dies, Claire, she gets like suffocated and then spends the rest of the movie sitting in that rocking chair yeah. in the attic with the bag over her head, which I like and- because it's unsettling. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like, yes, we could have had a prolonged scene of her, like, gasping in the Mm -hmm. bag and, like, the bag inflating and deflating as she's trying to breathe and it slows down and then she stops moving. But, the like, him doing that, like, he, like, jumps on her with the plastic and then it cuts to 
his shadow on the wall carrying her through the hallway, which is also creepy. Mm -hmm. And then several shots throughout the movie of just her dead body sitting there in the attic uh, where people could see her if they looked up to the window. Right. (laughs) But nobody ever does. And yeah, it's unsettling that she's sitting there eyes wide with that clear plastic over her head Mm -hmm. that's like pushed in where, you know, she was trying to breathe in Mm -hmm. her mouth. Mm-hmm. that's more unsettling than actually seeing it happen. Similarly, when the house mother gets killed, you know, she's kind of halfway standing on the ladder, like her upper body's in the attic. Right. And he's holding that hook thing. Yeah. And like throws it at her. And so you understand what happens, but I thought it was more effective instead of seeing like the hook go into her head mm-hmm. to just cut to out like below the attic and watch her kicking feet get pulled up into the attic like totally yeah that stuff like that like works really well in this movie yeah it's like brutal brutal and gruesome enough but then it has a like almost that feeling of like this could happen Mm -hmm. you know well Um, even more so because like you know I, I've never been a big fan of the Halloween movies, but I know what a lot of people like about those or what really works for people who watch it is, you know, Michael is like this faceless killer. He's got a mask on. But for the most part, especially in the first movie, he seems like just it could it's a person. It could be anyone kind of thing. And that's what's like scary to people. That's why movies like The Strangers work so well for a lot of people, mm. because you know, they're not afraid of ghosts or monsters because those don't exist, but someone could really come into your house wearing a mask and try and kill you. Yep. But even more in this, you never even see the killer. Right. You never see him. You don't really learn who he is. He's just always there and nobody realizes it. <laughs> I was like blown away by that in the end. That's a great ending. Like, <laughs> I had forgotten that that's how it ends. I love that ending. When, like, they certainly try to sell you, like, pretty pretty easily that it's, like, the piano-playing boyfriend or whatever. Yeah, Peter. Yeah. And when, sure enough, it ends up not being him and that, even that final scene with a creep in the attic, like, I was, like, legitimately blown away by that. It's, yeah. It felt like something someone would do nowadays to, to be different, but this was done 40 years ago mm-hmm. or 50 years ago. Like, I I almost couldn't believe it. I was like, that's so good. And that's so unsettling. It's so creepy. It's a great moment when, you know, she is in shock or whatever, having killed the person who the movie wants you to think is the killer. And she's like laying in bed and all the cops and everybody leave her alone. Like, Mm -hmm. we got to let her get some rest. And then the camera just like pans along the hallway up to the attic door and you see the attic door close or or open a little bit. It's just like, oh, what a fucking great ending. And then also that. That it was that it wasn't even him, but then just to never show him. Yeah, yeah. The only real look at him at all that you get aside from his hands in first person when he's like climbing something is his eye through the crack in the door. Do you remember that right. part? Uh, yes, yes. And that that's just like, oh, it's so fucking creepy because all you see is this giant eyeball staring at mm-hmm. you. Now, um, remind me, Millsy, were Jellos hot in the streets at this point? Or, yeah. like, were they making their way to the States? Yeah, yeah. Um, like, late 60s was, like, the early Mario Bava stuff. And then throughout the 70s, you were getting a lot of the Jallos that directly influenced uh, Halloween and John Carpenter. Um, a big one being Bay of Blood, which also goes by a couple other names. I think it's also called Twitch of the Death Nerve. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, like, that movie, this movie, the aforementioned Peeping Tom, 
and then like sliding right into Halloween are considered to be like the mm. and Texas Chainsaw Massacre also being in the 70s. Oh, okay. Those are considered to be like the early influential slasher films. I mean, this one certainly probably be the oldest I've seen and just like so much just feels like a straight up jalo. Like I was, mm-hmm. well, I was excited watching it. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things just not knowing to, what to expect, you know. Mhm. So yeah, it's stylish, it's simple. I mean, I knew a little bit about it when I first saw it. Like I were you familiar with like the poster at all going no, in or nothing? Cuz I always had the image in my head of the girl with the bag on her head. And I mm. always thought like that's definitely a creepy image, like that would be a horrible way to die. Mm-hmm. So like I had little things like that in my mind going in. But I was definitely expecting it that first time around to be more of a typical just like you know, kind of sexed up college movie with death scenes, you know, and that's, yeah. it's, it's definitely more in that Jallo range of like a mystery. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And involving uh, John Saxon as the, uh, the police officer. Oh, yeah. Who was in a Jallo. He's in Tenebrae, which I've seen mm. and is, is good. There's some fucking crazy death scenes in that mm. movie. Also in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, so he's gotten mm-hmm. around in the slasher horror genre. I just grew up with him from watching Enter the Dragon. <laughs> Enter the, the Dragon, so. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good stuff. Those bum- bumbling-ass cops, the guy was in the attic the whole time, Milzy. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this movie does have a sense of humor to it at times as well, like with the bumbling cop mm-hmm. who like didn't know what fellatio meant. and Oh, yeah. Never mm-hmm. could seem to do anything right. Mm-hmm. I feel like over the years, be it the Sidetrack podcast or this show, I've spoken many times about how adding something tactile in a movie to, you know, uh, sequences when you are investigating something or trying to solve something or pulling a heist or whatever really does it for me like something that is a act that's visual. Mm-hmm. And I love the whole sequence where they're trying to get the guy to stay on the phone long enough yeah. for them to trace the call. Mm-hmm. And normally there's plenty of movies where they're like, you got to keep them on the line so we can trace it. Yeah. But all that ends up being is like a bunch of people quietly sitting in a room and someone yeah. like watching a computer screen. And then when they hang up, they say like, we got it. But this, you actually see the guy. Like, I don't know exactly what he's doing. He's in a room that's just filled with all these clicky machines, but he's, like, running around following machines and, like, plugging his thing into different outlets to, like, hear the phone calls. Mm-hmm. And that I love that so much. It added, like, yeah. so much tension because there was a visual thing I was following mm-hmm. in, in those sequences. It added to the tension. And also, I'm sitting here, like, this could be a nuclear reactor, and I wouldn't know with the way this built this room's <laughs> yeah. laid out. The shit he's going through to try to figure out this phone, like, yeah, I don't know how that shit works, but I had that same kind of thought. Like, you know, for all I know, this isn't what actual phone you know systems used to be like at all, and this is just bullshit. But you know, could be either way. I'd be blown away finding out either way. Yeah, but it's crazy. Good Works scene. great in the movie, oh, for totally. sure. Because it happens like two or three times, I think. They almost get him. Mm-hmm. You know? And, I mean, <laughs> you know, they they reveal right at the beginning that the guy is in the house the whole time. So it's not like a surprise right. reveal for the audience at the end. Mm-hmm. 
but it is for the characters and it has that moment that great moment where they're you know they've traced where the guy is and they're on the radio with uh john saxon's cop character in the car and they're like he's the call's coming from inside the house (laughs) (laughs) which um apparently that urban legend which Wikipedia calls the babysitter and the man upstairs, which we've all heard that line, the calls coming from inside the house. Right. That was a direct inspiration for this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> Apparently that urban legend mixed with um, an actual series of murders that took place in Canada in 1943 in which a 14-year-old boy bludgeoned his family to death during the holidays. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Canada. I didn't read too much more into that one, but uh, yeah, those two things combined equal Black Christmas. Christmas. All right. Yeah. Not a ton of Christmas in Black Christmas. No, just it, you know, it's like Christmas is like the the reason that everybody is like, some people are leaving and, you know, it's it's like an excuse that not everybody would be around. And Mm -hmm. man, just imagine this movie. And, you know, as I say this, there have been two remakes of this film. But oh, imagine this movie nowadays with like cell phones and the Internet and shit. Oh, forget it. (laughs) Just would not be the same. This did have that Christmas carolers murder, though. Right. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there's enough. Yeah, it's it's like it's like Die Hard. Like, in my opinion, not to open this can of worms. Here we go. Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. Die Hard is an action movie that happens to take place at Christmas, and I don't begrudge anything for that. I love the fact that it takes place at Christmas because it adds a flavor to it. And this, I would say, is the same thing. Like, this doesn't have to be a Christmas movie. It's not like the killer's going around wearing a Santa costume or something, which has been done, (laughs) Silent Night, Deadly Night, or Christmas Evil, or probably others. Oh, is there a third one? Uh... There has to be. All right. Well, I mean, Santa, Santa killer trifecta. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I put it down. No, we can do it. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it adds an element to it where I just like the fact that it is at Christmas. You know, like lethal le- lethal weapon takes place at Christmas as well, but it takes place in California, so it's like not snowing or anything. But like, there's a fight scene in a Christmas tree like mm-hmm. lot or whatever. This, it does help this one stand out because, I mean, this could be like any number of just sorority murder movies, you know? So Yeah, for sure. Like if it wasn't set at Christmas, it could have been spring break and it could have been called like, uh, you know, uh, just sorority house murderers or something like that. But. <laughs> right. Sorority house massacre sex or whatever. Yeah. No, I, I like the, the Christmas element and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. cold weather and the... Uh, you know, the Christmas lights and shit everywhere. and mm-hmm. Yeah, carolers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a good time, man. Yeah, this is like the original holiday horror movie, I think, like holiday slasher it's, film. It's gotta be, right? I think I mean, so. I mean, there's a ton of them after it, obviously. It was like a weird mm-hmm. trend that took place in, uh, because of the success of this Friday the 13th and Halloween, I think, and then everyone was like, hey, it works, let's do it too. Mm-hmm. Hence the other two movies in our lineup here. but <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I never like think of Friday the 13th falling in that, but it is a calendar based. Uh, yeah. It's a calendar based thing. It's not really a holiday. Right. Like I feel like Friday the 13th is known as like a notable date because of the movie. Right. More than vice versa. But yeah. Like, cause was there like something of note about Friday the 13th or it's just like a bad omen or like people who are, I was going to say, I mean, maybe it's always been, yeah, the the bad omen day, but yeah, it would only make sense. That's why they would name the movie that if it was already something, but mm-hmm. who the hell knows? 
During the initial release of this movie in the United States, Warner Brothers changed the name to Silent Night, Evil Night, fearing that the original title would lead people to believe it was a black exploitation movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> this was pretty interesting, I thought. So the film was set to make its television debut under the, I don't know why they kept changing the title, but uh, under the <laughs> title Stranger in the House. Mm-hmm. In January 1978, but was pulled from theaters because of similarity to a real event that happened like two weeks prior. Do you have any no. guess what that would be? No. I know you're not as big of a serial killer podcast nut as I am. but <laughs> no. no, sir. Right before this, right before that was supposed to happen was when uh, Ted Bundy mm. had broken out of prison and did a late night attack on the shy Omega sorority mm-hmm. at the Florida State University, uh, killing two co-eds and brutally maiming two others. Jesus. And so they decided to pull the film because it was, you know, about a killer in a sorority house. And <laughs> the movie that they showed instead was Doc Savage, Man of Bronze. Oh, of course. <laughs> which couldn't be any more different. Um, and you said that was, it was being re-released. It was, uh, it was going to, it was making its television debut. Oh, they were going to show it on TV, which again, I mean, considering that there's not a lot of graphic violence in it, you know, that probably would have been perfectly fine. Cause it's more of like a mystery than anything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as I mentioned, it's actually been remade twice. Uh, once in 2006 with Michelle Trachtenberg and Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Mm-hmm. And again in 2019 with Imogen Poots and Carrie Elways. I have not seen either of the remakes, but uh, I get the impression from things that I heard that the 2019 version like flips it on its head and is more about like the women fighting back than being picked off one by one or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I could see that being the case. Budget of $620,000, box office of $4.1 million. Dang. That'll so, work. Yeah, I mean, it made a fair amount of money in its time, but uh, four point one still doesn't sound like a whole lot. In 74, though, I think it's a shitload. Yeah, maybe. All right. Black Christmas. Uh, on to film number two. Please. All right. Coming in... From 1981, we have My Bloody Valentine. You know, it started 20 years ago. It was the night of the Valentine's Day dance at the Union Hall. The biggest event of the year. It had been a tradition for over 100 years. Everybody was there except for seven miners who were out at the Hanager Mine. Five of them still down below. Two supervisors were waiting for the men to come up. Anxious to get to the party, they left before the men were safely out, failing to check the methane gas levels in the tunnels down below. The five men were buried alive as the town continued its party. For six weeks, we dug around the clock to try to save them. After we broke through, one man was found alive. I was the one who found. (laughs) Harry Warden spent the next year in the state mental hospital. Exactly one year later, 
on Valentine's Day, he came back to town. He killed the two supervisors who had left the post the year before. Then he cut out their hearts and stuffed them into heart-shaped candy boxes. That night at the dance, he found the boxes, blood dripping out the sides. Inside was a note, a warning from Harry, never to hold a Valentine's dance ever again. Uh, looked up the writer and director of this. Neither of them have done anything else of note, really. <laughs> wow. George Mahalka, the guy who directed this, he's got like 25 uh, directing credits, but I wasn't familiar with any of them, really. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. I think he's Canadian as well. I believe this was also a Canadian film. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like he did like a lot of stuff in Canada. Like there was one movie... I don't remember the title of it. I didn't bother writing it down because I'd never heard of it, but it apparently was like very popular in Canada because it was about a specific place in Canada or something like that. Uh, won some awards, but down this way, if it ain't about the U.S. of A., we don't give a shit, so no, I've never sir. heard of it. <laughs> but yeah, so all I knew about this one going in was that uh, I couldn't figure out how or why a guy in a mining costume mm. had anything to do with valentine's day but mm-hmm. that's really all i knew about it fair i mean same here i put i knew they went together but couldn't tell you why and yeah apparently because a bunch of miners died on valentine's day <laughs> and it's so funny the trope of there being this kind of convoluted while at the same time really obvious reason behind the killer like the secret killer in a slasher movie offing people like they were wronged or you know something happened to their family at some point and Mm -hmm. now they're back for revenge you know this is still early because it's 1981 so maybe friday 13th was 80 yeah friday 13th was 80 halloween was sometime in the 70s i don't remember the exact year like 79 even isn't it Maybe, maybe somewhere in there. And then uh, Black Christmas was kind of early, mid-70s. So there wasn't a lot before this, but it, this already feels like it's laying hard on those tropes. Just like, Big time. Yeah, the premise is that uh, it's this mining town, and it's it's the town has Valentine in the name. It's like Valentine Bay or something like that. And so every year they have a Halloween, or yeah, not uh, Halloween, a Valentine's Day dance. And... Uh, some miners got left behind down in the mine because the supervisors wanted to rush to get to the dance. And then there was like a, a cave-in or an explosion or something. Mm-hmm. And some miners got caught down there. And by the time they got in there to rescue him, only one was left alive. And he had gone nuts because he was like eating his fellow <laughs> miners who were trapped with him mm-hmm. to survive. Cannibalism, and- Millsy. It comes for all of us. <laughs> and then the following year... Uh, they basically put him in an insane asylum, and the following year he broke out and uh, murdered the people responsible for the cave-in and uh, put their hearts in Valentine's candy boxes and like gave them to other people in the town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then they recaptured him, and uh, ever since, for the last 20 years, they've never had another Valentine's Day dance, but they figure now it's been long enough and... We're going to have another Valentine's Day dance, and then people start dying. Crazy minor guy will show you. 
It's just like Black Christmas is a perfect example of like it's so simple. And the original Halloween even, that's one of the great things about it is the killings seem so random Mm -hmm. until you get to the sequels and then they introduce the whole like Laurie Strode is Michael's sister and all this stuff. And magic. And magic. (laughs) But, um, you know, that's kind of the beauty of a couple of those movies is it's just, it's simple. There's just a person and he's killing and that's what's scary is it's mysterious. Mm -hmm. But then man, somewhere along the way, slashers fell hard on the idea that they had to have a really specific and convoluted Mm -hmm. reason why everybody is dying, which can be fun in the case of something like scream, you know, right. Where you're trying to figure out who the killer is and why they're doing it. But yeah, I don't know this one. (laughs) It, you know, it is what it is, but it it feels so cornball, the reasoning yeah. behind everything. I watched these um, in chronological order, so this was... I actually watched all three in one day. So right from Black Christmas into My Bloody Valentine, I was immediately like, like, oh, like this is the thing I'm more familiar with. And it's <laughs> funny, like... I was, I, never, I guess I never really thought about it, but like this feels the most like what Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer, like... This mm-hmm. feels like the the inspiration for those movies, like more than any other slasher. Yeah, I'll agree. As one of the early ones, it definitely does. It's like, you mm-hmm. know, a, a town under siege from something and there's like a dark yep. history with the town and mm-hmm. some some masked figure and don't know who it is and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, uh, even like the kids all getting together for the party at the end and when they're like not supposed to because there's a killer on the loose and mm-hmm. that that's the same thing that happens in Scream. Oh, yeah. So I was like kind of surprised while watching it. Yeah, I, I, that hadn't occurred to me, but uh, yeah, some very close connections between this and that. Totally. Is there a noteworthy person in My Bloody Valentine? Um, I mean, some of the people in it have been in other things. Uh, Hollis, who's like the fat mustachioed miner, he was in Meatballs. I actually liked him. Yeah, I liked him too. Uh, the police chief is played by a guy named Don Franks, who I didn't really recognize him, but he's been in some noteworthy things. He's actually done a lot of voice acting. He was a voice in the movie Heavy Metal. He was Sabretooth on the X-Men cartoon series in the 90s. Nice. And he was also Dr. Claw on Inspector Gadget. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Next time, Gadget. Next time. Milzy. That was good. (laughs) Inspector Gadget. And then he was on 96 episodes of La Femme Nikita. Oh. (laughs) Which I knew there was a movie or two. I don't know if I ever realized there was a TV show, but I think... I think it was like a Canadian show maybe because it was also like a, it was the original was French because it was a Luc Besson thing. Right. And, you know, they got a lot of French people in Canada, mm-hmm. a lot of French speaking people anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the best friend, Patty, who wore the red dress at the end, she was in Moonstruck. She was in 107 episodes of some Canadian uh, crime drama show called Street Legal that we never had here Ooh. that I'm aware of. And obviously I didn't recognize this guy for this, but I think the most interesting thing is that uh, Neil Affleck, the one who ends up being the killer, the blonde guy, mm-hmm. uh, he went on to become an animator and a director on such shows as Family Guy, The Simpsons, The Critic, and Rocco's Modern Life. I mean, some of these careers, Mills. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like the main male lead, the brunette guy, you know, he was in like three or four things, never really went anywhere. 
And then the other guy, like, you know, he went somewhere, but he works in animation. Yeah. Wild. Hollywood. Also happened to be in Scanners as well, which oh. I feel like is just another connection because he was an actor in Canada. Mm-hmm. And in the early days of Cronenberg's career, that's where all of his money was coming from. <laughs> I like it. Oh, and Al Humphreys. Uh, Alf Humphreys, who I think was the old guy. Mm-hmm. Was he like the mayor of the town or something? Uh, he was He was yeah. in First Blood. He was in oh. Rumble in the Bronx. And he was in X-Men 2, apparently. Oh. All right. Which surprises me a bit because he was already pretty old looking in this. And X-Men 2 came out like over 20 years after yeah. this. But. All right, Al Humphreys. <laughs> so yeah, this one, it's certain, like we mentioned, like certainly more of the typical slasher, you know, where it's showing some of the more gruesome kills, a lot of some pickaxe murder for sure. Yeah. I mean, kills that lady in the laundromat. Uh, that was the one that surprised me the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He like puts her in the, uh, the dryer, yeah. I guess. And she comes out like her, she's all pink and sticky and like her skin's yeah. all fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. You got a guy who was decapitated, or no, no, they uh, his heart was cut out and they put it in a big pot of boiling water they were cooking hot dogs in. Yeah. And then they stuck his body in the freezer. <laughs> they burned that guy's face in the hot dog water too. Yeah. Yeah. I was a little disappointed the two people that were like having sex down in the mine at the end, they their bodies get discovered, but you don't see them get killed. Uh, they had an auger like pierced through the two of them <laughs> while they were on top of one another. <laughs> and you know- there are there's some okay kill stuff in here, but the thing that surprised me the most, I I don't know a hundred percent which version I watched. I watched this on Amazon. I rented it, but um, nine approximately nine minutes of the movie were removed to get an R rating in the United oh. States instead of an X. Okay, Canada. I thought it was kind of weird. the The producer John Dunning said that the film was cut to ribbons in order to achieve an R rating. And the director believes that this was due to John Lennon's death the previous uh, December. He said that there was a backlash against movie violence after that. I, I, I've never heard that before. Yeah, me neither. That's news to me. But yeah, so like nine minutes were cut, including the auger death. Like they filmed it full on. Uh And then over the years on different releases, they've put back in a lot of that stuff. So again, I'm not sure which version we watched. I'm guessing because of like the woman coming out of the dryer all disgusting, this had to have had some of the graphic stuff put back in. Mm-hmm. But um, according to the director, like the most recent version of the film that was released by Shout Factory, he called it 80 to 85% of the way hmm. back to like, you know, his intended version. Can we just get the 100% for crying out loud? I mean... Yeah, I mean, it feels like the auger death is like a big one where it's never mm. been put back in in any way, shape, or form. But it's interesting. Yeah, it's a pretty good shovel fight at the end. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just two miners going at it. Yeah, I mean, this one, you know, it it's it's you're introduced to all of your characters. The weird thing is that it's not like a bunch of high school kids. It feels like it is, but they're all like high school graduates who are working in a mine and they're all just like, they're working this dangerous job, but they're still just acting like children. (laughs) Right. They're still just like horny trying to get drunk. Think it, think it's a good idea to go 2000 feet underground in that fucking sketchy cart thing. Yeah. Well, you want to know what's even crazier is that this was filmed in a real mine and they actually filmed 
uh, what was the number? 2,700 feet below ground for the mine scenes. I would never in a million years have guessed that a studio, I I don't know how this movie was financed because again, it's a Canadian production. So it might've just been distributed in the United States by, um, whatever studio made them cut all the violence out. Mm -hmm. But if somebody was giving them money to produce this movie and it wasn't an independent film, I can't believe anybody would let them film 3,000 feet below the surface of the earth for this like little, you know, slasher movie. The only thing I can think of is like, it's 40 years ago. It's the wild 80s. You know, (laughs) they don't even care. Someone else, you know, 3,000 miles away is financing the thing. Maybe, you know, and they're not even going to tell them that like, oh, rather than build a build a set, we're just going to actually go to the center of the earth. <laughs> I mean, even like they couldn't have found like some caves above ground or you something. So? Yeah. But, just to get camera equipment down 3000 feet seems yeah, like it'd be a pain in the ass. I just like I was reading that on Wikipedia and I couldn't believe it. Um Lighting had to be planned very carefully for every scene due to the methane gas in the mind. It couldn't be too hot or they might ignite the methane. That's just how the guys die in the movie. I know, which is like, okay, I understand that in real life, <laughs> you know, people go down into these dangerous situations to get stuff like coal and whatnot yeah, that we they you know, have to. Yeah. But this is a film and they're like, yeah, we got to take lights down there. Just make sure you don't have enough that we're going to blow up and like kill all the people in the movie. Like this is a completely superfluous act making a movie like this. Right. I, I can't believe that they did it. Dude, uh, are, is mining just the craziest job or what? I mean, yeah, mine collapses and Fuck. people people just getting like the black lung and shit like that. Right, right. That's creepy ass coffin shaped cart down to, down there. Yeah, not to speak of like the claustrophobic conditions and all the different things that can go wrong. And hey, man, that's a certain kind of person getting down there. Yeah, Good not me. Them, <laughs> not me. Yeah. And yeah, it took approximately one hour to transport all of the casts and equipment down into the mine every day before shooting, because presumably they just had like little elevators and shit to get. I just, I, why did it have to be that far below the earth that they filmed it? I can't believe it. Also, prior to the. Production's arrival at the mine, the owners of the mine decided to clean up the location for them, and uh, they they left it described as clean and colorful like a Disneyland set, which resulted in the production team having to spend an estimated $30,000 to paint portions of the mine to make it look darker <laughs> and more like it was an active mine, which I thought was funny. Yeah. I know showing up thinking you're ready to roll, and then you got to put in all this extra work just to make it look shitty. Yeah. Man. <laughs> Just uh, yeah, that's that will remain the most mind blowing thing to me that um, they couldn't just build a couple sets or film in a cave or something. They had to actually go down. Yeah, right. In the mine, that's it's just I've never heard of something like that before. <laughs> Those wild eighties, Millsy. Yeah, I mean, there's things that they do like uh, you know in the one Mission Impossible movie, uh, Tom Cruise is supposed to be hanging off the side of the Burj Khalifa, and he's like. You know, he's a producer on the film and he's a maniac, so they actually let him do it. And it's like, that's what the movie's known for is like, wow, they actually had him on the outside of this building like this. That's cool. And they like advertise the movie with that information. But then it's just like, oh, little old My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, at any time we could have blown up some methane gas and gotten buried. Like the entire fucking film production crew could have been buried below the earth. Never to be seen again. Yeah, it's just no one's going down there to get him. It's wild. But fucking crazy. Yeah. 
the actual reasoning, like we we gave the reasoning for like why the the town didn't have the dance for twenty years or whatever because of the bad connotation of Valentine's Day and all that because of the murders. But then you know the whole movie, you know they're leading you to believe uh, like Michael Myers. Oh, the uh, original killer escaped from the mental institution and mm-hmm. he's like killing everybody. You find out towards the end of the movie it's not him, so it's like a copycat killer. And then, so like while it's convoluted, all of that reasoning for the original killer, like I I, I guess I understand, but mm-hmm. the reasoning for the guy who is the killer, I find harder to believe. Of course. When like so, the mind collapse happens. They put the guy in the insane asylum. One year later, he comes back and he kills a bunch of people. After which they stop having the Valentine's Day dance every year. But that one year where the killer came back and murdered the people responsible, one of the people responsible for the cave collapse was uh, the character Axel's dad. And Mm -hmm. so he like witnessed his father get murdered by the killer. Why would him witnessing his father being killed make him then want to become the killer? Well, the easy answer, Millsy, is it wouldn't happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can chalk anything you want up to like, oh, it's just uh, he's a screw loose because yeah. of what he experienced as a kid. But it's like if he had a grudge against the town for some reason, I could almost understand. But like his dad was killed by the killer because his dad was part of why the collapse happened in the first place. And those guys got trapped. Right. Like not to say that his father deserved to die. Yeah, but he's not avenging his dad. So... It's, I don't it just, know. It kind of just felt like they got to come up with somebody. Yeah. There has to be someone. According to the filmmakers, uh, the crew kept the identity of the killer a secret from everybody, including the cast, until the final scene was shot because they didn't want anybody to like play it off mm-hmm. and like act like they were guilty. Mm-hmm. So going into the final sequence of the movie, it could have been the brunette guy, the blonde guy, or presumably even the female lead. Mm-hmm. And they all found out the day that they filmed that like action sequence in the mine that the blonde guy was the killer. Wow. Did they show him as a kid in that, that scene of his dad being killed? Was the kid in that scene before? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it, it was very brief. But like when the explanation happens, they show... Like him hiding under the bed, I think, when his father's killed. And then I think you see a shot. Maybe it's supposed to be when the police come and find him and he's got like blood all over his face. See, I remember that from the end. I said I didn't remember. I must have just missed it in the beginning. But... Oh, no, no. Sorry. It's not in the beginning. It's only at the oh, end. It is only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Sorry, okay. I misunderstood the question. Well, yeah. So I've seen that's still something they do nowadays, I think, is keep, you know, no one gets to read a full script and uh, no one knows who's who's what's what. Yeah, which is which is an interesting idea. I mean, in this case, I don't know. Maybe it would have been nice to have a little bit of a hint at uh, who it was potentially. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things. Like, I feel like you would have, if it was a newer movie, you would have gotten that. But back as movies when they were older, yeah, they wouldn't give you a single hint. Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, you don't want the audience to be able to guess, right? Right, but. Even if the cast doesn't even know, then it can feel kind of tone deaf that the person who you find out at the end is this crazy killer just seemed completely normal and it's like right. a little harder to buy that he would have been the yeah. killer at the end because nothing ever led you to believe that leading up to it or something. But. Yeah, and then it's like 
you know, could you go back and watch it again and see all the logical points that don't match up? If he I mean, obviously not if he didn't even know to play it like he was the killer, right? right? And they don't reveal the reason until the very end when they show his face and they show him as a kid. I, like, it doesn't feel like it would reward you watching it a second time with like, oh, now I see. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's a that's a, a stylistic choice on their part, I guess. Yeah. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, remade in 2009, uh, I kind of wish I watched the whole movie now back when I rented <laughs> it because, uh, Tom Atkins is in it as the, uh, oh. the police officer. All right, Tom. So I am an Atkins our, fan. Our boy Tom, same here. Yeah. And, uh, this one had a budget of 2.3 million and made 5.7 at the box office. Mm. So. Not quite as good as Black Christmas. Essentially doubled its budget. Still nothing to uh, frown upon. Yeah. I mean, we're getting into the 80s now, so those mm-hmm. uh, those returns got to gotta be jumping up some or we're not going to get 17 sequels to these true, movies. True that. <laughs> Anything else to say about uh, My Bloody Valentine? No, I feel like we've covered it. All right. Third and final film from 1986. We have April Fool's Day. Really not that interested in it. <laughs> Come on, man! Just one more. Double or nothing. Enough's enough. What, what? What are you scared? Hey, I said give it a rest. Oh fuck! Ah! I'll get him. I'll get him. April Fools, very funny. What the hell is wrong with you guys? Somebody could have gotten very hurt out there. Oh, at least we don't go in for this shoelaces untied crap. You know that. Great <laughs> shit. I gotta, I gotta be honest. I'm a little disappointed in myself. You know, oh. there's, there's nothing wrong with this trio, three slasher movies based around holidays. Mm-hmm. But I learned while reading about this movie after watching it that it is one of three April Fool's Day set slasher movies that all came out in 1986. Come on. What a trio that would have been. Holy shit. What are <laughs> the other ones called? Alongside Killer Party and Slaughter High. <laughs> well, I mean, for a couple of guys who don't necessarily love slasher movies, we might just have to start watching more. <laughs> Maybe. Forcing ourselves. I mean, like I said before, I my uh, my to do list is enormous, so I'm happy to get around to any of these things at any given time. But uh, you know, I don't know if Slaughter High is high on my list of things to do. No, when I, I still have like the Godzilla Criterion box set I haven't touched on my shelf out there. Well, I'm strictly talking for this show, just forcing it upon ah, ourselves. Yeah, so we'll, we'll do see. anything for the uh, for the good of the show. That's true. Millsy, April Fool's Day. Yep. Biff Tannen's in this one. <laughs> yes. Which I think is the only other movie I've seen him in besides the Back to the Futures. You know, that's not terribly surprising. I've looked him up before. I looked him up again when I was uh, researching this movie after seeing it. Back to the Future came out in 1985, and that was only like his fourth or fifth acting role. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was anything of particular note before that. 
But then, so that comes out in 85. This movie actually came out between Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2 and 3, which I'm not, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head which year those two came out, but they came out like six months apart from one another, I believe, and they were filmed back to back. Okay. But then you would think Biff Tannen, a huge, hugely remember, like, like memorable character. I mean, he's an all time villain. Yeah. From like one of the most popular franchises of the eighties goes on to do like nothing. Huh? I mean, he's, he's in a bunch of movies, not big roles and not necessarily big films. And then he's one of those guys that just kind of fell into voice acting and he's got like 200 credits on his IMDb, but the vast majority of them are like bit parts in TV movies and voice acting work on cartoons. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just like, you would have thought mm-hmm. that the guy who played Biff Tannen would have at least gone on to have a career as like asshole bullies in other movies, like yeah. you know. But no, not really. I wonder if uh, it's one of those cases like Back to the Future was too big, and everyone just saw him as Biff Tannen. I mean, I don't even know. I you I you could offer me every dollar possible, Millsy. I could not tell you what his real name was. Oh, you didn't know that his name is Thomas Wilson? <laughs> no. Not even sure you're telling me the truth right now. That's how... <laughs> that is his name. Yeah, no clue. But yeah, when I saw him in this, I was like, wow, another movie with him. Because mm. yeah, looking up like the stuff that he's done, I have seen a couple of other things that he's in, but he's obviously not memorable from them. Like Mm -hmm. I don't even remember, like I looked it up like two days ago and I don't even remember what the movie was, but he's like the police chief in some movie that I've seen. Gotcha. But like, I don't know. (laughs) Here he is in 86's April Fool's Day. Yeah. Millsy hit the people with a little synopses. (laughs) So it's a bunch of college students who are uh, about to graduate and they're all kind of in that phase of like, or no, no. Are they in college yet or they're about to graduate uh, from high school? The one I can be honest, the, I don't remember. One of the characters at one point mentions that Buffy, the girl whose house they're at, mm-hmm. I think I think they're talking about her, mentions that she goes to Vassar, which is that's a college, right? Yeah. But so then sure. the male lead, he's all depressed because his like counselor or whatever. Uh, I don't think they say guidance counselor, but essentially that was telling him that uh, he doesn't have a future in medicine, so like he shouldn't go to medical school. So I, they're about to graduate, I guess, from high school. I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure now that I think about mm. it, but you know they're young adults, mm-hmm. and they're all like trying to decide what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. Ha ha ha! Good luck, kids. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like spring break or something or summer vacation or something like that. And uh, they all get invited to one of their mutual friends, uh, like summer homes. Her family is uh, wealthy. And so they have this like own tiny little private island that they own. Mm -hmm. And there's like an old, like a big old like mansion on it. And uh, so this group of friends, some of whom seem to know each other, others less so. But it's a good group of like eight, you know, guys and girls. They all go to this house and they're going to have like a fun weekend. And uh, it's the kind of thing where they get taken over on a ferry. And I guess it's Friday and uh, the ferry's not going to come back over until mm-hmm. Monday. So like once they're there, they're stuck there. And then they start dying one by one. Um, 
sometimes involving weird April Fool's jokes kind of right. shit. Yep. There's a couple of April Fool's gags. Yeah, like, I'll be honest, you know, there's there's a lot of throwaway jokey April Fool's stuff, like uh, Tom Wilson's chair. Like, he's got, like, a... Mm-hmm. They keep putting him in, like, a chair where the legs fall, so he, like, falls backwards. Or, you know, they all do a toast, and they all have what's called a dribble glass, where it's, like, you can't drink out of it without liquid pouring out somehow. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, one of the characters even smokes a exploding cigar. <laughs> they do trick uh, Biftan into thinking he killed his buddy. Right, yeah. Which was... Or no, he's he's in on it. The two of them are tricking everyone into think he thinking he killed him when they're on the the ferry. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Because like afterwards, they're like high fiving and like laughing, oh, and everybody else is oh, all pissed Christ. off at him. I just remember thinking that was great because I was like legit, like holy shit! He just tossed that switchblade to that guy's gut the way he fell yeah. off the. Uh, ferry I was like, wow, was this good. is a surprising start to this movie. <laughs> right. But yeah, so like there's a lot of throwaway gags like that are April Fool's jokes that don't have anything to do with the actual murdering. Mm -hmm. And then like all that stuff is kind of left behind. It's not like people are getting killed through complicated April Fool's Day jokes or something like that. So I remember through the meat of the movie thinking like this is just like a cheap shot of like we want to make a slasher movie. Let's just call it April Fool's Day because, you know, the holiday slasher thing is a popular trend. Mm hmm. It does come back around at the end, which I I admit I did not see coming at all, and it kind of justifies why it's called April Fool's Day, but for the majority of the movie, I was thinking to myself, like, this could just be, again, spring break or something. It doesn't have to be April Fool's Day. Well, same here. I mean, the setup I really enjoyed, you know, I was, like, very ready, but then throughout the movie, I was like, where are my inventive kills? Can I see someone actually be killed rather than just seeing a bunch of dead bodies everywhere? Yeah. And the thing is because of shit like the aforementioned Friday the 13th part seven, where that movie was classically butchered by the MPAA and uh, you never see anybody die in that movie. You always see the aftermath of the deaths and it's like unsatisfying because Mm -hmm. by the seventh film in that franchise, you're used to seeing the goods there is a standard out there where you can watch a slasher movie and it could just have no good kill shots and you'd roll your eyes and be like, yeah, that this is just one of those. But then to find out at the end that it was all because nobody actually died and it was all one big joke. I have to admit, I was like impressed when that twist happened because I did not see it coming mm. at all. I didn't see it coming, but it did, it did not work for me. Oh, like, really? Just, just to be a joke in the end, I was like, it just felt like a waste. <laughs> but again, this is particular to me where it's like, I want to I want to see ridiculous gross murders in slash movies if I'm going to watch them. No, I'm yeah, like, I'm I'm with you. Like, yeah, since I'm not a big fan of the genre, like that's one of the right. things like blood and boobs are like the things that I can be like, all right, well, that'll get me through the movie. But like this to be like the tongue in cheek kind of ending that it was April Fool's joke and it's back. I don't know. Maybe it's technically a comedy. I don't know. It's like I. Well, that's the funny thing is that I read a little uh, like a quote from the director saying that he was disappointed that the box office wasn't bigger because he felt that the studio didn't know how to advertise it, so they just advertised it like a slasher film. Mm-hmm. 
But then my question would be like, okay, it's the big twist at the end is that you don't want people to know that there's no actual murders taking place until the end of the film. So how would you advertise it differently? Like, what did that guy want? There's only one way to market that as a yeah. horror movie, even though it's not, and it doesn't. Nothing actually scary <laughs> happens. But yeah, like like I said, I was just watching it, thinking like this is just one of those kind of middle of the road, unsatisfactory slasher movies that I'm so used to seeing. Mm-hmm. But then the fact that it was justified in the end. And it was like, oh, no, they were doing it on purpose. This wasn't just a movie that got edited to shit by the MPAA. <laughs> yeah, it's not like my new favorite movie or something like that. But I admittedly, it's like I had a little respect for it in the end where I was like, wow, Ooh. you got me. And because of this, the status of the 80s slasher genre, it like I was fooled. I was fooled. April <laughs> <laughs> fools. Yeah, like I'll admit, like it's uh. it's cheesy. And at the end, I was thinking to myself like, man, so like you didn't see a lot of horrible murder. Like it definitely has the tone and style Mm -hmm. of a slasher film, but can you even call this a horror movie? Like it feels like one, like a a average subpar version of one while you're watching it. But then at the end, it really wasn't. No. Yeah. It's very perplexing. Yeah. It's, it's a weird case, but it's it's not enough for me in the end to like feel it's like satisfactory (laughs) payoff, but yeah, it's just, it is what it is. I just think that, like, it feels kind of unique in the genre, and... Oh, God, yeah. It's... During the act of watching it, it was anything but unique. It's like it's like an average movie that... It's, like, average on purpose to disarm you. And you could argue that, well, it's still average because they made it average on purpose, so it is average throughout. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, in the in the reveal at the end, it's... It's something else. I don't know. I, I kind of dug that. For for me, it was just like an eye roll on top of the, the, what I had just sat through. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like a fucking a... Goosebumps book, like an R.L. Stein <laughs> novel or something. Because it is so like, on like if, if it wasn't for a little bit of talk of like an abortion and, and whatnot and a couple mm-hmm. of like severed body parts in a well that aren't actually supposed to be real, they're supposed to be like, within the logic of the movie, they were like, oh, fake you know, heads made by this props guy who works with us. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is like inoffensive. <laughs> I don't know. I honestly, in the end, I wished I was like, man, it, for, to me, it felt like a missed opportunity not to have like the final girl or final guy. Like when they come out of that cupboard or whatever, it like kills the, <laughs> the, the that's girl, what the I was twin. expecting. Like, like yeah. everybody realized it was a joke except for him because he yeah. was locked in the closet and right. he gets out and stabs the girl because he doesn't. I was 100% expecting that. He finds a shotgun in there or something and just like that yeah. would have completely changed my experience with the movie. But. That, though, feels like a modern twist. Like that doesn't feel like something they would have done in the 80s to me. Yeah. I mean, you're probably right. But and I mean, I would have been like. I would have been cool with that, like as an like an ending. It made more sense to me rather than just <laughs> I don't know because I just put myself in that situation. Like I don't know how I'm not throwing someone through a window after they put me through that. <laughs> well, in lieu of what you're talking about, the movie did originally have a different ending, which they shot but then removed, and mm-hmm. it's actually in the novelization as well. It's kind of a version of what you're talking about, but not nearly as good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so essentially, the movie ended the same way with. Uh, it was revealed that it was all one big joke and like everybody was in on it. 
And then everybody was like uh, half the people were going to like go down to the dock and leave. But uh, like four of the characters were going to stay behind because now they were going to like surprise and pull a joke over on Muffy, who was staying at the house. And uh, they were going to like come back and fool her, surprise her or whatever. But then the character Skip, who was... I think the first one, quote unquote, killed in the movie. He was the one whose like body floated underneath the uh-huh. uh, yeah the the boathouse towards the beginning. He was going to actually then kill Muffy, and uh, allegedly because from what I was reading, he like wanted to steal her inheritance, which I don't even <laughs> understand how that was supposed to work. And then the final act of the movie was going to be those other couple of characters who stayed behind to scare Muffy, like trying to get away from him who was now crazy, mm. which that would have just felt like a fourth act, yeah, like kind of unnecessary. Definitely like guy coming out of the cupboard with a double barrel shotgun and shooting Muffy. Yeah. I thought she was a killer. Would That would have been my ending. <laughs> I mean, God, it would have been so tonally bizarre for a movie like <laughs> this. But yeah, if like, well, it if would've... she was like standing, like, you know, that those double doors slid open the la- the final girl was like in that room and she realized what happened and then uh nobody had released the guy from the closet he was in right. yet and muffy was like standing in the doorway or something and he like busts out shoots her in the back with a shotgun yeah. and everybody screams and then he like walks up to her body and looks in the room and everybody's alive right yeah and then he just like falls to his knees and the movie ends like that would have been yeah. fucked up yeah. That would be great. I mean, you say that'd be like totally bizarre, but I think the movie already is. Totally <laughs> the movie bizarre. is totally bizarre. <laughs> Coming or going, but yeah, that would have been yeah. uh, that would have been the ending for me. I mean, again, I I would have liked that. That would have mm-hmm. been a good ending. But uh, you know, considering what it is, like the ending that they went with, I'm still you know I'm I'm glass half full anyway. Uh-huh. It's still not great, and it's fucking really preposterous like they have to basically have the scene at the end of every scooby-doo episode where she's explaining how everything worked because otherwise the audience would be like the fuck you talking about what yeah totally man Linnea Quigley was originally cast as Muffy slash Buffy but she had to turn down the role to due to scheduling conflicts with the return of the living dead Oh, okay. Uh, if she was in this movie, I probably already would have seen it by now. <laughs> yes, you certainly would have. <laughs> and yeah, as with the previous two, also this was remade in 2008, uh, direct-to-video, with uh, Scout Taylor Compton being the biggest name in the cast. Do you know who she is? I know that name, but that's about she it. She was Laurie Strode in the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Oh, Okay. Gotcha. Blonde girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, budget on this one was five mil. Box office was thirteen. So, Damn. Yeah. Well, this nothing 80, to scoff at. Eighty-six. Those uh, slashes were pumping at that point. Yeah, for sure. Uh, people were just like frothing at the mouth for mm-hmm. this kind of shit at that point. I'd love to know like what the thought was in eighty-six, like being at the theater when people were walking out after this one. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I can imagine people being pissed. <laughs> who was into it and who was like, "Fuck this." <laughs> they'd be like me or they'd be like you yeah people walking out and they're like man there were no good kill scenes and then nobody actually died at all <laughs> <laughs> right pretty much yeah april fools man 
one of the most interesting things about this is that uh, the writer is also the writer of Beverly Hills Cop. Of course. That's uh, interesting, too. Some mm-hmm. like how that happens, who knows? Yeah. Uh, oh, there was one other weird behind-the-scenes thing about this. doesn't really, really have anything to do with the movie, but... So we kind of talked about uh, when they're on their f- the ferry ride over in the beginning, Thomas Wilson, Biff, and another character, what was his name? Griffin O'Neill. Uh, they are playing this game, I think they call it Stretch, where like, it, it seemed to me the idea was you take a, a knife and you throw it in the ground and it sticks in the ground, and then you have to try and stretch and pick it up without moving your feet or something okay i don't really that's that's what i gathered from watching it but i didn't really understand what they were doing and thomas wilson kept on falling down because he couldn't do it gets pissed uh throws the knife at the friend (laughs) uh he falls off the boat everyone thinks oh my god he just accidentally murdered our friend but then it turns out it was an april fool's joke and uh then since the uh the one guy who works on the um the boat already jumped in the water to try and save him he decides okay i'm just gonna swim over to the dock that we're next to and uh you know tie the rope up instead of climbing back on the boat and doing it and then the uh the boat just kind of drifts over to him and crushes his head (laughs) (laughs) between the boat and one of the poles Mm -hmm. of the dock and blows his eyeball out yeah which seems completely like avoidable but uh so then I read this. So like Griffin O'Neill is the guy who, you know, was playing the joke that got stabbed. And then he was like the one that everyone was blaming kind of for the other guy being in the water and then getting his head crushed in a bizarre case of life imitating art. <laughs> O'Neill was indicted on manslaughter charges the following year after the movie came out for a drug-induced boating mishap that resulted in the death of Francis Ford Coppola's son, Giancarlo Coppola. Oh. O'Neill, who was piloting the boat, tried to pass between two other boats, unaware that they were connected by a tow line. O'Neill barely had time to duck when he realized, but Coppola was struck by the tow line and killed. Damn. O'Neill was convicted of negligently operating a boat, and received an 18-day jail sentence for not completing community service. Okay. okay. <laughs> like I said, not really related to the movie, but it's like, huh. It's uh, enough of a connection that I was like, that's oh, a yeah. weird fucking story. There's connective tissue there for sure. <laughs> yeah. Who the hell, like in all the times I've read and heard about Francis Ford Coppola stuff, seen him in interviews, I mm-hmm. never knew that he had a son who was killed because of <laughs> yeah. the actor from... Uh, April Fool's Day and the Wraith and Ghoulies Go to College. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah, that's uh, oh, man. I just couldn't believe that that guy is responsible for the death of Francis Ford Coppola's yeah. son. Jeez. All right. I was waiting for the article to say that he got decapitated by the tow line, but it didn't didn't specifically oh. say that. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, just weird. Uh huh. It's got to bring it down in the final moments of the show. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's uh, all I got. April Fool's man. for April Fool's Day. Unless there's anything else you wanted to no. bring up, let's talk some posties. All right. Uh, Black Christmas, like I mentioned earlier, I was familiar with this one. Just that illustration of the girl with the bag over her head is so effectively creepy. 
Mm-hmm. So I like that image. I feel like the poster on the whole is like multiple elements kind of cobbled together that don't yeah it's weren't meant to be together. It's like they took that illustration, then put it on a black backdrop with like a little white scene below it that looks like mm. it would belong on a Christmas card. Yeah, but like, why is there a black and white bow, and then the rest is color, and then there's blue text at the top? It's just... Yeah. I will say, though, I am a fan of this tagline. <laughs> that is pretty good. If this picture doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's a good tagline. Yeah. In the It's in the realm of, um, gosh... I don't remember what movie it was, but uh, there's a movie, a horror movie that has a, the tagline, you don't have to go to Texas to see a chainsaw massacre or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And I always just thought that was a good tagline. Like but. why this poster isn't just a wreath with that in the middle? Yeah. Kind of like it's cropped weird where the wreath is cut off. Yeah. Like why isn't the wreath fully there? And then the bow with the title on it is actually yeah. on the wreath. Like I don't get that. Yeah. That's just very odd see I'm, I'm a man of two worlds in this one because i love that illustration and it's like burned into my memory even having not seen the movie until recently mm-hmm. and i like the tagline even though it's up there in blue that doesn't really match with anything else like it, this all could have been put together better but i like yeah some of the elements i'm with you because the the like you said the the image is great it's done like perfectly mm-hmm. too like and it's not just a photo it's an illustration right, of right. it no i'm with you but the yeah. fuck they do the rest of it? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> My Bloody Valentine, not a huge fan of this yeah. one. There's, for some reason, there's 60% of this movie is negative space, uh, this poster. Yeah. You know, like everything just feels a little small. I'll tell you, my biggest problem, because, you know, so it's basically just a black background with... Uh, the a close up of the face wearing the um the miner's mask with some blood on it. Mm-hmm. A number one thing you do to make this a better image is don't show the guy's eyes through the goggles. Totally. Like just have the mysterious right. face mask with like a glare over the eyes or something. Yeah, glare eyes and just covered in blood. Like yeah. it doesn't need the light with the with like weird images in of, it. A shot of the Maybe the dance with like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like he, you could have done like a half figure of this guy. Mask is covered in blood, but the eyes are covered up. And he could be like holding the Valentine's Day candy box. Mm hmm. I mean, so. Yeah. It's not going to like make sense until you see the movie, like why he's dressed like that or anything, but it doesn't yeah. here either. So. Mm hmm. Yeah, this one's weird. Yeah, this feels like a cheap like VHS box design yeah. or something. There's more than one way to lose your heart, Mills. Which doesn't really make sense either. No, because I feel like losing your heart isn't like yeah. it's not like breaking your heart or Yeah, it's not like a yeah, if it was there's more than one way to break your heart, but then that doesn't really apply to To Valentine's Day either, but Yeah, it's yes. like they tried to take a known turn a phrase and then change it to fit their mm-hmm. needs and it doesn't really work. Yeah. It's rough. Yeah. This it's one. just, you know, it's pretty bland, this poster. Yeah. Just a lot. Most of the decisions don't make sense. What is the logic of having the people dancing in the light on top of his head? I don't get that. 
I mean, only thing I can think of is like, because it's got the name Valentine in it. They had to say there's some reason people would see this and think, what is Valentine? So they show a Valentine's dance reflecting yeah, yeah. in a light, I guess. That's a stretch, but I don't have a better explanation. Yeah, that's all I got. And then uh, I already mentioned that I've always liked this poster. It's just a cat, like an eye-grabbing image of the girl from behind with a knife behind her back and her uh, like braided ponytail mm-hmm. uh, tied into a noose. Which I guess could technically be a spoiler. Maybe a little. Yeah, I guess so. But it's so good that. Yeah, I mean, I never thought about it in context. Like, I knew the poster, I watched the movie, and I was never thinking about the poster while I was watching it. I mean, also, we didn't really touch on this, but so the girl, Muffy in the movie, isn't actually killing anybody, but um, she's trying to make it seem like she is. Like, she plays up this whole thing that she has an evil, like, uh, psychotic um, mental institute escapee twin sister. And so, like, she starts to act really strange in the middle of the movie and starts dressing differently. And, um, you know, I definitely, not knowing the twist, like, it fully worked on me, was like, oh, this is a different person. And then, like, later in the movie, they show you that old photograph of, like, Mm -hmm. the the two twins next to each other. And I was like, this is totally a twin. (laughs) Even there was a moment where after Thomas Wilson's character dies, his character's name was Arch. And... Muffy pretending to be her sister Buffy purposefully gets his name wrong when she's talking to someone. She calls him Art. And I right. caught that and I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm totally figuring this out. <laughs> and then it was it wasn't oh, real at all. But <laughs> but yeah, I guess this could kind of give it away. It's so good that the noose hair is such a good addition here. Yeah. It's just like a a nice image. It's, you know, a cool painting. Mm -hmm. It's got like a kind of a 80s high school comedy vibe to it with all the other characters. It's just the knife and the noose in the foreground, you know. Mm -hmm. Guess who's going to be the life of the party kind of generic tagline that doesn't really do anything. A cut above the rest also kind of generic doesn't really apply to anything. Yeah, they don't. They don't go together, and they don't go with the title either, but... Yeah. Oh, well. They don't particularly mean anything in the... No. You know, in terms of the movie either. The image but, is good, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've always liked this poster. Break it down, Millsy. Give it to the people. Yeah, I'm going to give Black Christmas um, three carolers. Mm-hmm. Because there's, I love the tagline, I like the main art, uh, it could have all been put together better. but mm-hmm. It um, could have been a, a fantastic four or five star poster if done correctly. Yeah, yeah just uh, tighten it up a little bit and it would, mm-hmm. it would be much better. Preach. My Bloody Valentine, just because it's, the tagline doesn't work. The eyes make it look goofy rather than scary, which yep. is not really what this movie's going for, unlike April Fool's Day. Mm-hmm. The blood just looks fake. It looks like paint. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing incredible about the title logo and the people in the light. It's just confounding. You know, I've seen posters that are just like hideous Photoshop artwork or whatever that are probably worse than this, but I'm giving this one a one. <laughs> oh. I'm not knocking it. One. Hot dog boiling next Ooh. to that guy's heart in the pot. Hot dog water. And then uh, April Fool's Day, 
not taking into account the two taglines, which, you know, they're not awful, but they just aren't really necessary. Maybe I'm crazy here, but I've always liked this. I'm going to give it a five. I'm going to give it uh, (laughs) a... I'm going to give it five off-screen death scenes. (laughs) People, I don't know how many fives have ever been given out for a poster. Not many. That's that's, uh, high marks. I mean, yeah. I like like, your style. Take away those two taglines, which aren't terrible. They're not bad like the My Mm -hmm. Bloody Valentine tagline, and they're not amazing like the black christmas tagline they're just unnecessary words like take those away i don't think there's anything wrong with this poster yeah, it's, I, it's I, a good I'll, piece I'll of ro- art i will roll with you on that one yeah it's it's appealing in every way really it's got a good gag a couple good visual gags there yeah i really dig this one so yeah. i'm not knocking it i like your style son well mills it's about that time yeah bye borrow burn Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I am. Are you ready to go first or are you ready to go second? Mm, you're going to go first. All right. Still like this movie a lot on a rewatch. Uh, so I don't think it's too surprising to learn that Black Christmas is going to be my buy. Uh, I just think it's really solid. And, you know, it came before a lot of the other slashers that like kind of built the tropes like we were talking about. But, you know, being one of the first, it manages to avoid a lot of the tropes that I... I don't love as much. Mm. So mm-hmm. would it have been a better or a worse movie if it had like graphic death scenes? Who's to say, but I think the way that it was made, it's like a, it's a very effective film, even without like crazy gore and all, as we talked about. So well said, just, yeah, just the mystery and the creepiness. It, it works perfectly fine for me. It's, it proves that you don't need that stuff to make an effective horror movie. And maybe a lot of the, 80s slashers we all know and love fell back on it because they didn't have as good of a story or style as this. Who's to say? Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes down to the other two, <laughs> I feel like I used the word average about 73 times in the <laughs> April Fool's Day review. <laughs> but the fact that it does something different and it tricked me and it was unexpected uh, is going to put it above My Bloody Valentine for me because My Bloody Valentine is just a generic slasher movie. So while you could objectively say that it's better than April Fool's Day as a slasher film or whatever, it's also less interesting. So <laughs> just based on the the twist ending, I think. That's what did it for you. Uh, I got to give it to April Fool's Day is going to be my borrow and My Bloody Valentine is going to be my... My burn, which isn't like a terrible movie, it's just, it's just another slasher film mm. for me. Mm-hmm. So, I gotcha. That's how it's gonna be. All right, um, I will go right and say, um, right off the top, certainly a same buy for me. Black Christmas, it's a good time. It's a, it's a bit of a time capsule. Feels like, um, and I say multiple times, like I'm, I'm looking for those. I'm looking for those. Uh, creepy and or inventive murders and this one doesn't necessarily have that but what it does have is the unsettling creepiness throughout so well made good time and and quite the surprise for me as well so nice black christmas is an easy buy um then we got the borrows and the burns um it's probably not surprising but i'm gonna say borrow my bloody Valentine and uh, burn April Fool's Day. I mean, 
Not to say April Fool's Day is like terrible, but just did not do anything for me. It wasn't what I what I came for was not there. And while it does have an inventive ending, I could already like come up with one that I would think would be even more entertaining and worthwhile for me. So it just doesn't deliver. Now, not to say my bloody Valentine, it's certainly Maybe it was breaking new ground in 81, because like we mentioned, it seems like so many um, slasher movies from like the 90s onward seem to take a lot from that movie more than others. Um, It still is just like creepy faceless murderer, you know, running uh, havoc through the town. And that's like kind of what I wanted. So (laughs) I think it it, it delivers enough there for me to be the borrow. There we go. Fair enough. And there we go, Fair Mills. Enough. We didn't match on that one. No. Can't happen all the time. No. Can't rain all the time. All right. Well, what are we going to watch next? It's about that time. How many uh, random movies do we have? Uh, currently, we have 239 themes. 239. Here we go. Will it be more murder? Millsy. 65. 65, more early-ish numbers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Theme for next episode is high concept. Yes. I'll go ahead and tell you, although this may be misleading, dear listener, that uh, in this title, the word high is in quotations. <laughs> high concept. Do with that what you will. Yeah. I don't know if there's any chance people are going to get this trio, but uh, the gauntlet's been thrown down. I'd like to figure see it, it out. I would, <laughs> yeah. My mind would be blown. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm excited. I haven't seen any of these. Oh, you haven't seen that third one? No. Oh, Dex. <laughs> you don't know what you're in for, buddy. Oh. I'm just going in blind, too. I don't even, I'm not even going to look to see. I mean, it's one of those ones, I know that title, but I could not tell you a thing about that movie. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, wow. Well, this is going to be an interesting conversation, no, well, for sure. We've got those, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so that'll be uh, episode 63, the mm-hmm. theme, High Concept. Until then, I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.